Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, we're business creators. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the business creators who help others grow their businesses, and we have the people who like to have their own hands on the levers, the do-it-yourselfers who like to handle things on their own. Now, if you are one or more of the above, in fact, many of our listeners are all of the above, please take a moment, explore how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Hop on over to iTunes. Do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Make sure to subscribe. Fresh content is added every single week. Make sure to leave a five-star rating for your favorite episodes because every five-star rating helps us help more business creators just like you. Now, if you, like me, enjoy the idea of things being simpler, of getting the results without having to work as hard. Because you know, we talk about working hard, working smart, working right. There's a continuum of optimizing effort to return. And one of those things that we love to do is search for strategies where you can sell without selling. That is a very popular buzzword. We've tested it with some of our own offers. We've tested it with client offers. And whenever we use the phrase sell without selling or selling without selling, that seems to really get people off their behinds and get them moving because selling has taken such a turn and it's got such a connotation. You have this vision of being in a cubicle somewhere, dialing for dollars, cold call after cold call, cold call after cold call, with your bosses measuring how much outgoing phone time you have and paying no heed to 19 of those people calling back and doing business with you. Uh, personal experience, I'm just sharing. So what we'd like to do today is we'd like to talk about selling without selling. I love this topic. And how to attract ready-to-buy clients with value up front. To demystify and explain that to us, we have Terry Dean of MyMarketingCoach.com. Let me just tell you a little bit about Terry. Uh, Terry went from delivering pizzas for Little Caesars at $8 an hour to creating a full-time income online in 1996. In a second, I'm going to tell you why I wish I knew Terry back in 1996. He has earned as much as $96,250 from a single email to his list in front of a live audience. I would like that swipe copy, please. Over the past 21 years, he has coached and consulted with thousands of entrepreneurs in hundreds of different markets on how to earn more, work less, and enjoy life using the power of the Internet. And I know that some folks who saw Terry Dean listed as an upcoming episode on Business Creators Radio Show have already written to us and said, wow, man, you got Terry Dean? You're really answering the big leagues here. So without further ado, Terry, welcome aboard the Business Creators Radio Show. As you can see, the weather's fine. I'm glad to be here. It's great to be here, Adam. All right. So in your bio, um, you give a broad outline of how you moved from delivering pizzas to creating a full-time online income. But what we'd like to do here is, is the first question before we get into the main part of our episode interviews is ask or ask or just a little bit more about their personal journey and what was it within their journey that uh, maybe was a catalyst or maybe set them on the path to leading them to where they are today 
functioning at the intersection of their brilliance and passion serving business creators. So if you could tell us a little more about that journey, this is the type of stuff our listeners love. Well, we're going to go back in time to the early days of the Internet in 1996. Yes. And back then, I was delivering pizzas, as I mentioned, and I had also tried to do – I tried sales jobs previously. For example, one of my – jobs right before becoming a pizza delivery driver was selling satellite dishes door to door. I only lasted two, we- two weeks at that job because I sold a grand total of zero, and they decided to let me go the day they had to pay me minimum wage since I wasn't making any sales or any commissions at selling satellite dishes door to door. So and before that, I had tried a lot of network marketing companies. I had tried selling those, and it's funny. All those network marketing companies always told you that you could get into the program, you wouldn't have to do any selling, it just sold itself, and you know what? They lied. They didn't, the products did not sell themselves. You still had to do some type of selling, and it never fit me. I was not a good salesperson, so that's the background right. we're coming from. And I had basically, my wife and I were tens of thousands of dollars in debt. It was actually over $50,000 in debt overall, and we're just talking mostly credit card debt at that point in time yeah. when I was delivering the pizzas. And I heard about the internet, I heard a few success stories, it was 96, so there wasn't a whole lot there, but I heard a couple of success stories of small, um, basically home-based businesses who went online and were successful. And when I heard those, I was just like, you know, this is something I could do because it's not going to require my sales skills. I'm not going to be getting on the phone and selling to anybody. I'm not going to have to sell to them in person. This is something I can do. And I went out and bought my first PC on another credit card, Best Buy credit card, that I then maxed out for an old 75 megahertz uh, paperweight now. And I got online, taught myself how to use the PC, went on the Internet, and this is back in CompuServe days. So I started on CompuServe forums on basically going to these forums and participating in conversations. And one of the first things that I learned was I picked up some like low-cost products I was able to get a hold of, of like Gary Halbert and a couple of other direct response people who did mail order and things like that. Right. And when I got a hold of these products, they talked so much about the importance of a list. Okay, And I was like, well, how does this apply to the online world? And I started putting together an email list at that point in time, and I would go to these forums, and I would participate in conversations, and then I gave away a free report that if you came over to my website, you could, you could sign up for the free report, you'd get on my email list, and I'd send out an email every week. And that was my biggest breakthrough was getting people on an email list because at that point, I went out and bought licenses to a few self-help type videos. So self-help type videos, things like Mark Victor Hansen, things like that. And I started selling those from my website. And my income was directly proportional to my email list. So as my list grew, so did my income. And it was only a few months until I replaced the Pizza Hut. You know, the pizza delivery driver was actually Little Caesars I was working for. But I, I replaced the pizza delivery driver salary after a couple of months. My income grew from there. And it was really primarily in building that email list and doing what I call selling without selling because I didn't go out and just send sales pitches out to the email list. The emails were a mixture, and this is so funny because we're talking 21 years ago, and it's still the same system I use today for the emails, but it's a system of personality, personal stories, mixed it in with some content, and then usually ending with a pitch over to a product. Here's how I can help you more. And that very simple model of email 
got me full-time online. It created that big business that I created first. I sold off that first business in 2004, took some time off. 2006, came back and started coaching other clients more, really focused on a lot of different niches. And we use the same email marketing system today. We're a little more advanced in it, but it goes back to the same basic principles. And you know what I found is over my 14 years in this industry that you've had so many different flashes in the pan that have come and gone, but every time the dust settles, it's the same tried or true that people do that brings the money in. Um, having a strong list, having a strong relationship with your list, and some of the classic selling without selling tactics that you're going to tell us a little bit more about as we go along. We have a number of questions we're going to ask. Some of this stuff is going to be pretty elementary. Some of it's going to go a little bit deeper. Uh, I did promise that I mentioned earlier uh, why I wish I knew you back in 1996. 1996, I was in college, and this was during the days when uh, very few of us had computers in our dorm rooms. Uh, we would go down to the computer lab and wait in line for um, everybody else to get off the chat line so we could get in there and do our term papers. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was kind of a big deal. So you had, your, you had your, like, your PC lab and you had your Mac lab right next to it. So for the PC lab, you had a line literally halfway around the block at 3 o'clock in the morning while the Mac lab had like two people in it the whole time. This is before um, your, your Apple machines and your Mac machines kind of caught up and became more user-friendly. So I digress. I'm just setting a little bit of a, of a, of a stage for where we were. Well, I was in college, and I also had my 1988 Chevrolet Camaro, for which I was building a mad stereo system for it. I had acquired all kinds of competition parts, and I bought some custom door panels so that I could angle the speakers to create my front soundstage. Audiophiles know what I'm talking about. Uh, the rest of you, you can Google it if you want to, but it's not important to this conversation. What is important is that the company that was selling the door panels – um, offered me the opportunity to come on board as an outside sales representative to sell the panels. Uh, I used to hang out at a park where all the people with their systems would hang out. I knew a lot of the guys on the local competition circuit because I bought their, I bought their three-month-old stuff for my car. I could have made a decent living uh, selling those door panels because the third-generation Camaros and Firebirds were very hot on the auto sound circuit. Uh, and they, they all had that front, that front sound stage problem that audiophiles would know about. Um, and I allowed myself to be talked out of it because, after all, I had my minimum wage job working in fast food. That's a guaranteed paycheck. Why am I chasing these ghosts? Nobody's going to buy these panels, which I should have thought, first of all, wait a minute. I bought the panels, and nobody exactly. had to twist my arm. I was looking to improve the sound stage in my Camaro. I knew what I was looking for, and nobody had to call me and, and hound me down. In fact, I sought them out and said, hey, uh, how soon can I have the panels? <laughs> I mean, but, but I allowed myself to be talked out of this and uh, told that this, you know, this whole get-rich-quick thing was stupid. Oh, and by the way, Adam, how much money have you put into your 401K? In 1996, the same as 2017, I don't know. I have a, I have a financial advisor. I meet with the guy quarterly. Uh, we see that my numbers continue to go up. We have, an, we have a conservative but vigorous plan to increase my savings for my retirement. I put money in. Sometimes I put more. Sometimes I put less. And uh, as far as, like, actual wealth building, that's not really something a financial advisor can help me with because I'm more interested in what Terry's going to teach us. Uh, so now that we've gotten some of that on the table, 
uh, let's start with some foundational things. Um, what, Terry, is your formula for quickly boosting conversion on websites, videos, and emails? Classic question. Okay, so this, this formula, this applies, to, as you just said, it applies to websites, it applies to videos, it applies to emails, it applies to pretty much any type of persuasion that you're doing. And I call it the golden glove. Okay, the golden glove okay. has five fingers on, this, on, the, on the glove. And the five nice. fingers of the golden glove are desperate problem, unique promise, overwhelming proof, irresistible offer, and a reason to act now. And I, we call, I call it the golden glove because I want you to just think of your hand. You can look at the different pieces on your hand for these five parts. And any time that you miss out on one of these five fingers, you're going to suffer a hit to your conversion. You're not going to generate all the sales that you could. And as I said, it applies to anything that's based on persuasion. I'll sit and I'll look through one of my emails by it. I'll look through sales copy by it. And get this, I'll even, when I'm going into a new market, I have a client going into a new market, I'll actually look at some of the top competitors, the ones that we know that are selling, the ones that are ruling, for example, on the top of Google AdWords. And I'll look at their websites, their landing pages, and I will reverse engineer their sites based off of the Golden Glove. I'll look for where they talk about the desperate problem. What unique promise do they offer? What proof do they back it up with? What's the offer and how do they make a reason to act now? We actually can really get a good understanding of the, of the competition and the market and why customers are buying by using this golden glove and that principle. So again, you can apply it to everything. And I'm sure that you probably want to go into, let's go into each of them in more detail, each of the five fingers and how we can right. use them. So the first Please. one is the desperate problem. The desperate problem means that you're going to think about exactly who you're marketing to. Are you calling out your audience? So I'll have some websites that will say for work-at-home entrepreneurs. Or, for example, I have a client who sells uh, marketing pieces and marketing training and marketing done-for-you services over in the chiropractic field. So we'll call out chiropractors at the very beginning of his website. So we're calling out to an audience exactly who is your offer for. It's not for everybody because if you try to sell to everyone, you end up selling to no one in particular. Just keep that in mind. That's a little phrase for you to remember it because everyone says, who's your customer? Everyone. No, no, you can't sell to everyone. It's impossible to sell to everyone online. You're selling to a very specific market. You call out the audience so we have something to call them out. And at the same time, when we're calling them out, we're targeting a desperate problem that they have. They're coming to you. They're going to pay money because they want to solve a desperate problem. And that desperate problem might be for the chiropractors, it'll be specific pain. I'll, I'll go over to that one just because I started there as an example. For marketing for a chiropractor, just saying that you do chiropractic care, no one cares. Okay? No one wakes right. up in the morning thinking, I just need a chiropractor. I need someone to adjust me. They only think that because they have a desperate problem. They have pain in their body somewhere. So you wouldn't yeah. target just the chiropractic service. You would target, do you... For example, some type of pain, maybe it's knee pain or it's lower back pain or it's sciatica, something specific. You're targeting a specific desperate problem. That's an easy example. Let's take a harder example. Let's say that you sell a course on golf or you're a golf coach to clients. Well, they don't have a desperate problem, do they? They're, they're, they don't have pain in their body. Well, they do have a desperate problem. They have a slice, and every time they hit the ball, it ends up in the trees. That's a desperate problem right. to them. Okay, They're not getting the distance. They're going up to the tee. And all of their buddies outdrive them at the tee. That's a desperate yes. problem to, to them. So right. there is always a desperate problem that we're going after, and we need to mention the desperate problem. You could even say that we twist the knife a little bit when mentioning the desperate problem on our websites and our emails. A lot of times I'll mention the desperate problem by either telling a story of how I went through the problem, 
You notice we started, even in this audio, we talked about me as a pizza delivery driver who was in debt. That was my desperate problem where I started at. I'll talk about something like that, or I'll talk about a client, a case study from a client of where they had the desperate problem. But so we call out to the audience, and we talk about a desperate problem. That's the first piece. Okay. The, the yeah. second piece is the unique promise. Now, you don't just want to have a promise. You want to have a promise that stands out as unique from the competition. You have some way that you stand out, and you're offering something you know, a little bit different than what the competition offers. And this directly relates back to the problem that you called out. So if we were, again, the chiropractor targeting someone who had sciatica, then our unique promise would then target the sciatica very specifically. And we talk about the techniques we use, how our techniques are different. They're going to be obviously fully natural techniques, no, no drugs, no, uh, no surgeries or anything of that nature. It's going to be full natural. How are our techniques different from other chiropractors? We'll describe that. We'll get into how our promise is unique, how we can deliver and solve that problem. And so that becomes very important. It's having a unique promise that stands out from the competition. The third piece is overwhelming proof. And these first three Ps really are in unison with one another. It's the problem. You have a promise to that problem, and then you have proof that backs up the promise. The bigger your promise is, the stronger your proof has to be to back it up. Yes. Because as you make the promise, pretty Great. much everyone out there is just saying, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. There's no one I should believe you. I tried to believe that before, but I was let down last time by someone else. So you need yeah. to have proof to back up your promise. That proof could be testimonials that you have. It could be your own personal story with specifics from your story, how you went through the problem to the promise. It could be full case studies, which, by the way, one of the elements of proof I love more than anything are full case studies, which is basically a testimonial expanded out to the whole story. So what happened to them? Or even things like video demonstrations of the product in action. Infomercials are masters of that, of showing the product in action. There's, there's a lot of different forms of proof you can use, but we have to back up your, your promises with proof and probably one of the – that's probably the biggest one that I work with on clients is a lot of times I, by listening to my materials, they'll put the problem up first. They'll make a promise. Sometimes it's not unique enough, but many times they don't back it up with proof or they hide the proof on page six, and I call that proof hiding disease. They hide okay. the proof on page six of their website instead of back it up right after the promise. So think of these three. In, in most cases, if we were dealing with a website, I'd want these three pieces – even above the fold of a website on desktop. Okay, so on a desktop, yeah. before you even scroll, you'll see the audience being called out. You'll see an element of the problem. You'll see the unique promise above the fold. You'll see at least one element of proof backing it up. And so I'm looking for those early on in the presentation. The fourth finger is the irresistible offer. Okay, the irresistible offer means how is your offer going to stand out? How are you giving them – Ten times the value of what you're asking for in return. What are you delivering for them? How are we going to discount it? If we took the chiropractor, again, chiropractic ad, we would probably tell them that they're going to get the exam. They're going to get x-rays. They're going to get a report of findings. They're going to know exactly how the whole system will lay out. And we're that would normally cost $199 for all of this. X-rays, especially people know, are valuable. And you can get it right now for just $37 to come into our office. That's an irresistible offer. To get in, part of the irresistible offer would be any guarantee that you have as well. How can you make even a ridiculous guarantee on what you're offering? And, for example, I have a person who offers a done-for-you service, 
And in his business, he even offers that if they don't generate a certain number of leads for you, they will fully refund your money. Okay, they will generate these leads for you. You know, and that's something that a lot of services will offer in a complete service. But what can you do making a guarantee to remove all the risk from a customer? Or even an example, I have a lot of clients who sell digital products online. One of the techniques we use to make it an irresistible offer is we let people buy on a trial basis. They can just pay $1 now, and they don't actually even pay any other payments till at least 7, 10 days later, so they get to try it out. Right. And for example, I have a client right now who's selling a digital information product at $199, but the offer that we do, and this is cold leads coming in from his advertising, he's able to sell them $1 up front, 10 days later they pay $99, 30 days later they pay the next payment at $99. And we are basically, in many cases in his advertising, earning 200% return on the front end, which means we earn twice as much as we spend on advertising because we have an offer like that up front. Okay? And then the final okay. piece is the reason to act now. Why do they have to take action now? That could be if you're running a special, a deadline special. A good example of that was I ran a special last month, about the end of the month, and it was a discount off of one of the products that I offer, and it was basically $200 off, off of this product. And it was really interesting because I ran this promotion for five days to my email list, and every day I sent an email. On the last day, I sent three emails. Over the week, 51% of orders took place in the last 12 hours before the deadline. Wow. Okay. So, only, so the first four days, Monday through Thursday, and then the first half of Friday generated 49% of the orders, less than half the orders. Over half the orders came in that last, last 12 hours from noon on Friday till midnight on Friday. And that's because there was a reason to act now. The deadline is going to end. And all of my clients have had similar results where we do a promotion over multiple days. We have some sales, maybe 10, 20% of sales come in on the first day. Some sales trickle in throughout the middle of the week. Then you have this huge flood of sales that come the last day because there's a reason to act now. People get off the fence because there's some type of deadline. Now, in some cases, you can't have a deadline where the price goes up or a bonus is removed or anything like that. In those cases, I'll often move back and talk about how the problem – we'll go back to the problem – how it will continue to get worse if they don't deal with the problem, how they're wasting money on other solutions. That's not quite as strong as having a specific deadline for something, but it can still be used as a reason to act now. So those are the five pieces of the Golden Glove, and I recommend every one of the listeners write these down because you can use them for everything you can do. You can even use them to plan out emails. You can use them to plan out your websites, and then you can use them to review your websites afterwards as well. Well, see, that's great. That's absolutely great. And one thing I saw you mention is how you run a five-day promotion, and 51% of your sales come in during, I think you said, the last 10 hours or the last half day. That is just the nature of how campaigns work. Uh, I tend to get hived whenever I see somebody say, well, our sale hasn't done as good as it can, uh, we need to extend it. Really? Because all you do when you extend is you're saying that your deadlines mean nothing and your scarcity means nothing, so people can just walk right all over you all the time. Let them feel like they missed out on something. If you run a five-day promotion and it took them five days to then come to you and say, hey, I didn't have a chance, that wasn't fair. You kidding me? Five days? Well, Gee, see, I have that. <laughs> 
I have that approach with every client now. We do not extend the deadlines because the moment you extend the deadlines, you're now giving a trend. Everything you're doing, you're teaching clients how they deal with you and whether you're trustworthy or not. And so if you move the deadline today, then they will expect the same next time you do it. I've sent out promos like this, and we've had the deadline, and people will email afterwards, can I get the special? No, you can't get the special anymore because we emailed it right. all week. We, we, we contacted you constantly. Not only did we email it all week, but I let you know the week before that I was going to be running a special this week. Right. You could have notified us two weeks ago in case you were gone all week to let us know, hey, I'll be gone. You know what? I might have let you in that case. But no, you're not getting it. And I've had other people email me and say, next time I'm going to get in faster. That's exactly yes. the email I want for them. I want them next time to get in the offer faster. So a lot of this is long-term thinking. You're building a relationship with your subscribers. They should know that you follow with what you say. You do what you say you're going to do. So just remember those five fingers, desperate problem, unique promise, overwhelming proof, irresistible offer, and a reason act now, and it applies to everything that you do. Okay, uh, very good, very good. Uh, I love the Golden Glove Theory. That's brilliant. And everybody who's listening live, make sure to go to the iTunes channel and subscribe so that this can be delivered directly to your iTunes. You can listen to it again. The Golden Glove Theory, brilliant. So what I'd like to do now, and man, time is flying. We're almost halfway through already. Great times. So uh, let's get into email marketing a little bit, because I got a couple questions when people heard you are going to be on the show about email marketing. Um, in the grand scheme of things, with all these uh, Facebook Lives and texts and bots and everything else, how important is email in online marketing today? Email still is the primary driver for every one of my clients except one. Okay, so it's the primary driver for every client except one. And as you mentioned, Facebook Live, for example, some of my clients, they run Facebook Lives, and how do we get a whole bunch of people to show up at the Facebook Live? We email their list to come over to the Facebook right. Live. Uh, here's what I want you to think about it. We use a lot of tools online. You should be using Facebook. You can use YouTube. A lot of clients use videos on YouTube, both with paid advertising and with organic reach on their videos as well. So we use a lot of these different content methods of marketing, but you do not own your Facebook page. You do not own your YouTube channel. Those are owned by Facebook and Google, and they could get rid of your channel anytime they want. They can change the rules on your channel. For example, multiple times people have relied on their Facebook page, and then Facebook constantly makes you get less and less organic reach at your Facebook page because they want you to pay for advertising. If you want to reach their audience, you have to pay for it. The one audience that you own is going to be the audience that you've built a list of. That is your audience. Even for the podcast, that's iTunes. That's, that's not really your audience. I mean, it's partly your audience, but your, it's, it's shared with Apple. Your audience is your list. And so that's where we drive a lot of our profits from. That's where we build a lot of relationships. I don't have all the stats sitting in front of me right now, but even recently in writing the newsletter for my audience, I went through and I found the stats and looked at all the different numbers. But when asking customers how they prefer to buy, even millennials listed that their preferred method of contact from companies was email. Right. And, and, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get into too many details, but, uh, you know, I personally, uh, people ask me, you know, what do I know about Facebook advertising and things like that? I say go to Business Creators Radio Show, and we have had some experts on who are brilliant when it specifically comes, on the, comes to the Facebook ads. In fact, we had one guy on who was uh, so good that he ended up getting a client from one of my listeners five minutes after his episode ended. 
So we have some really good people talking about the social media paid advertising. I personally, I don't know anything about it and don't care. And that's because of how the, um, the employees at Facebook treated me when I, I tried to participate in their program. Um, I'll say that out loud because they basically treated me like I was the enemy because I wanted to spend $100 a day on Facebook ads, so to hell with them. Uh, I personally, uh, that's, my, that's my feeling about it. If others want to kill it doing those ads, more power too. If you build a seven-figure business on social media advertising, paid advertising, awesome. But I spoke as strongly as I just did because I wanted to underscore your point, Terry, which is that nothing will ultimately replace email marketing because that is something you own. You own your list. You don't own somebody else's platform. So you can do all the... Uh, social media stuff you want, you can do all the external stuff you want, but if you're not getting them on your email list, you're not growing your business. So that's how important email marketing is. So what are some of the biggest mistakes we see people make? So let's help them avoid mistakes with email marketing. Okay, the two, there's two big mistakes, and we're just going to say they're opposite sides of the ditch. The first mistake that a lot of people make is they just send out pitches. Okay, they're just selling. That's what they're doing. It's just, right. just selling sales emails one after another. And I'm sure that everyone listening to this, you've been on a list like that. You join a list and you get one promotion after another. They're constantly selling you something. Everything is a in the internet marketing field where I work, where I have bring some clients in at, or even the weight loss field where I have a ton of clients over in the weight loss field. There are a bunch of lists like this in these markets where you get on the list and it's just constantly prom promo, promo, promo. This is the greatest thing ever. You need to buy it now, and if you do that, you're going to burn out your list. People uh -huh. do that because it actually works short-term. You'll, you'll have right. some buyers. Some people will purchase, but you're burning out the list. You're killing off the list. You're killing off the golden goose at that point okay? because you're not going to have people buy from you two, three years out. I had, for example, there's a lot of examples I give, but I remember one client specifically who had been on my list for two years. So he'd been on my list for two years. He had never purchased anything, and then he purchased a $2,000 group coaching program as his very first purchase from me. And the reason he said he purchased it and hadn't purchased anything else was that copy, I specifically said at the beginning of the copy, that I couldn't guarantee your success online because there's always risks, but I could guarantee that you're going to work really hard. I was going to make you work really hard. And he said that was the first promotion he ever believed. But that was two years after being on my list for this. So right. building a relationship, it took that long to build a relationship and make that sale. Now, of course, it doesn't take that for all of your list. Most of my clients were able to break even within the first 30 days off of advertising, putting people on the list. But we continue to generate profits from those lists month after month and year after year. But So that's the right. first mistake. It's just trying to sell. Okay. The second mistake, and this one is much easier for a lot of people to make, and I've dealt with this. So this is actually even harder to fix as a, as a coach coming in and being brought into the problem, and that is just sending content and never making offers. That's actually harder to fix from the coach side. And what I mean by that is you just send out piece of content after content. You're just saying, well, I heard that you know, content is king, so I'm just going to send out tons of content. I'm going to give people tons of advice and give them tons of value. Well, here's the reality of all that advice, all that value that you're giving is it's going to get lost in the shuffle because there's an overwhelming amount of content out there. And there's actually two issues. So the first issue is it's overwhelming amount of content. It's going to get lost in the shuffle. They're not building a relationship. Much better is to send out content that's also mixed with your personal stories. And I, I love talking to you, Adam, because I notice how well you bring those up no matter what we're discussing here. 
You're extremely yeah. good at that already. So you're bringing up stories, and so just keep listening, Adam. Keep listening to his podcast and imitate him as he tells you about different aspects of his life, different aspects of his experience. So that's, that's something they need to model from you, Adam, to follow. Whoa. But do, do that. <laughs> Thank you. Do that. Because the same methods we use for email, we would use for a podcast, we'd use for videos. They're the same methods that go from one method to another, just like the Golden Glove does. And so you build the relationship with the value. And the second thing is you have to be making offers because here's what happens. If all you do is send content and you never make any pitches, you don't tell people you're in business, you don't tell them that you have these products and services that you can offer them, what ends up happening is three months, six months down the road, you have these listeners who like you, they're reading what you're doing, but then you pitch something. And they get angry at you, okay? They get angry because you sold out. Now you're trying to sell me something. I thought you were just a good guy who loved me is where it almost becomes. And the reason I say it's so hard as a coach being brought in is I've been brought into lists where they built up lists of 20,000, 30,000 people just sending out content like this. But they weren't making any sales whatsoever. That's why they hired me to help them. And I have to retrain them to bring in the personal stories be willing to make offers in email. If someone's on my list, they're going to see that at least 95% of my emails have a link to buy something. So I'm not in your face. You have to buy this, but I'm always giving you the opportunity to buy. It's always there. So I give you the opportunity yeah. to buy. That as much be in your face selling. But so they haven't done that. So we send out you know, a relationship email, some content, and we put an offer in it. They get a huge number of negative comments back. People who they thought loved them last week told them that they loved them, how awesome they were, now are cussing them out by email. Okay, That's what they get yeah. back because that's what they trained their subscribers to expect was just boring content, or at times I call it constipated content. Yeah. Boring content, that's all they expected, no personality, no relationship, no offer, and that's just as bad really as it is being the person who just sends pitches. If all you do is send pitches – People stop listening. If all you do is send constipated content, which is just content without personality, without any offers connected to it, then sure, people right. listen to you, but they don't ever buy anything. You know, uh, first of all, thank you for the compliments. And uh, I've learned over the years that story selling is extremely powerful. And if you thought that uh, you know my little uh, my little flash of rage there about the Facebook advertising department uh, was something, you should hear some of my other rants. I mean, I I like to get down to the real and the raw of what people really feel, well, not the not the version that they that they timidly post inside the anonymous uh, feedback surveys. Uh, still watering it down even though it's anonymous in hopes that nobody does handwriting comparisons or anything like that. I just come out and say it, and uh, people either love it or they hate it. Uh, that's, that's their decision, and that's their right either way. What I focus on is how it creates engagement, and people see that you know, I'm just a guy that's gone through a lot of the same stuff that they have. And what's more, I'm willing to come out and say things that, they're not. That's always pretty attractive. Sometimes people need others to be their voice is what I've discovered. Uh, that being said, uh, that being said, uh, we right now are kind of, as I see it, at one of the key points of selling without selling is when you do storytelling, when you create engaging, interesting content, not constipated content, as you would say, when you're not just pitching or what have you, because uh, it gets to a point. You know, we also want to talk about like raising our fees and doing high-end coaching and consulting, where people are going to pay the large amounts of money for you, not because of what you do, 
but because of how they perceive who you are. Exactly. Just to mention here, I have an email template that I give people and I teach. It's part of the different templates I teach with email, and I call it the rant. That's an email yeah. we send out. It's an email where we just rant, just as you said you often do on these podcasts for modeling here. Is We do rants because we're just building the relationship. They're seeing us, and the same as you said, it's a voice for the audience. And I even take it a little further. It's a voice. It's what they've always wanted to say, but they couldn't quite put words to, or they weren't comfortable right. saying. You say it for them. You're connecting with the audience with that, and you're telling stories from your life. You're letting them know the experiences you've had, the ups and downs, and the fact that you're not, you're not the, the perfect example here that's never failed, never had mistakes, or even like we go back to the $96,000 email. I've had that. I've sent out these emails that generated huge sums of money. I've also had some emails that I've sent out that only generated a few sales. Once in a while, there's even an email that doesn't generate any sales. The beauty yeah. of email, one of the reasons I love it so much, is if I send out an email – and it doesn't produce the results I want, I can send another one tomorrow. Another yeah. one comes out. That's right. That's absolutely true. And, and you know what I've also heard is um, people get all, all, all bunched up because one person unsubscribes. I actually had somebody say, well, if one person unsubscribes, that is a disaster for my business because they're going to tell everybody, and that goes my credibility because we're annoying. Give me a freaking break. Um, <laughs> I've also heard. I, I've also heard the one. <laughs> I've also I love unsubscribes. <laughs> yes, I, I know. I I, I, lo I love it too. And you know what? I I love when they leave their nasty little notes because it gives me something to make fun of. I mean, <laughs> but I don't. But I don't spend much time on it beyond that because here's how I look at it. Um, and I've heard the thing. Well, for every one person who complains, there are probably twenty people who just walk away and don't say anything. Okay, cool. They can go. They can go their own way. Is the great Fleetwood Mac song would say, they can go their own way. I'm happy with that. I hope they find the love they're looking for. Uh, but I'm more focused on the people who would be offended if I slowed down because they would say, hey, why aren't you sending me that great stuff anymore? And it would be with another issue here is I love unsubscribes. Not just love it unsubscribes, but I, if I don't get some hate mail this month, I don't feel I've been ranting enough. I don't think I've been forceful yes. enough. I haven't been sharing the, the message well enough. Some people get all upset. They get bent out of shape because somebody sends them a nasty comment. Somebody sends them a curse word. I had a guy who every time I sent an email, he sent back a negative comment about it, how much he hated this and he hated my emails. Okay? And so I, 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 got a, I don't know why it lasted so long, but about five of these emails later, I, on one of his replies, his nasty comments, I scrolled to the bottom of the email and unsubscribed him myself because obviously he couldn't find the unsubscribe link. And a couple of days later, he emailed me asking why I wasn't sending him emails anymore. That was like, it seemed like a part of the highlights <laughs> of his day was complaining back to me about my emails. So there's some people out there who are never going to be happy. I love email marketing. One of the reasons I love it so much is you're going to have people who are – there's people out there who are just negative. Okay, You're not going to avoid right. negative people. The beauty of right. email marketing is they, they send me a nasty comment. I can hit unsubscribe if I want to on themselves. So I unsubscribe people too off my list, like, well, right. I don't want to talk to this person anymore, and so they're off the list, and so unsubscribes are not a bad thing. I don't even keep track of unsubscribe rates, even with my really big clients. I mean, I have some clients who have lists in the hundreds of thousands, and we yeah. don't even really care about the unsubscribe rates on the list. What we care about are the opens, the clicks, and most importantly, the sales that we're getting from yeah. the emails, and that's what we're watching is the sales numbers.
Yeah, my funniest story about an unsubscribe is somebody who uh, decided one day to not only unsubscribe but send me this really nasty note and the reason why about how we're spammers and we stole his email address or something. Now, meanwhile, what they didn't know is that I retain evidence of opt-ins. So I was able to find the receipt for this person's opt-in along with the IP address it came from, uh, for which, and uh, based on that IP address, I ran a triangulation that showed his office sitting right in the middle of the triangle. Uh, I did all other kinds of stuff. And then, uh, and so I put, uh, did all that research, put it aside, uh, because what he was writing was actually kind of a threat. So I wrote back, you know what, I'm so glad you're leaving, basically, is what it came down to. And I just hit send, and I said, you know, whatever, go away. So about three months later, um, I wake up in the morning to this guy um, <laughs> having written me this rambling cease and desist letter where he was copying abuse at every single agency he could think of and writing this thing where he was accused, where he was saying, how do you think that Google and Verizon and your web host and all these other people are going to feel about uh, you about you alleging that they colluded with you to spam me? And then he did this whole thing of uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, <laughs> it, was so funny. it was just so funny. And he and he said that I made up the and he said that I made up the triangulation report and all this other stuff. Uh, I. If I had more time in my life, I actually would have put up a website that says, you know, put his name, isafraud.com, and then posted that letter because, uh, I, uh, because I went and I did some more research on him, and I found out that the exact date that he opted into my list, the exact date that he opted into my list, and I found out he opted into my list because he belonged to a LinkedIn discussion group for whom I'd done a webinar at the invitation of the owner of that group. So I even traced it down to that level. <laughs> that's how that's how close I found this guy. On that exact date, and a court decision was rendered by the California Family Courts uh, that illustrated that in a custody hearing for his kids, that the judges rolled against him and actually increased the award to his wife because of all the specific instances they cited of him lying about his income, and they even used the phrase, "This is a judge saying we've lost absolute, we've we've lost any." faith in the petitioner's ability to tell the truth. And I wanted to write, and, I, and, and, his, and his wife's name, uh, what was her name? Actually, I do know her name, but we're just going to call her Candace, even though that wasn't her name. I wanted, I wanted to write back and, like, just reply with some of the links to family law blogs that were citing this as a perfect example of how not to behave in a family court situation, and just write by, back, how's Candace with a smiley face? But I didn't. <laughs> I, I, would have, I have a client that works at mental health. We need to send him over a referral for this person. Yeah. <laughs> now, now people are going to listen to that and they're going to say, "Oh, wow! So I guess that person that uh, told me to stop sending them emails uh, isn't such a big deal after all." That's why I tell that story because I want people to know that whatever mean things you think somebody has done to you, the person next to you has probably experienced that or worse. So rather than think that you've somehow managed to offend your base, then you should. Sh blow up on your email marketing, welcome to the club. <laughs> it just means you're making a dent. Well, we, we work online. Well, if you ever think it's bad for you, just imagine being a woman in fitness on YouTube and the comments that they get. Yeah. So that's, that's oh just God. a way to think about it. Your situation brutal. is better than that. Brutal. Yes, brutal, 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 brutal. So 
so here's what um, we also want to cover with is, uh, you know, we were talking about story selling and storytelling, and we made the point that when it gets to a certain point, people are going to hire you based more on their perception of who you are than the bullet points of what you do. Uh, so if you want to talk about a selling without selling strategy, you do that, and then you flip the conversation so it's not you trying to sell to them. It's them trying to sell to you why you should let them become your clients. And I think as we wrap up in the last 15 minutes here, one more topic we need to cover is what's known as the origin story uh, so people can see where you come from. So tell us about the origin story, why it's important, how to come up with it. It's definitely important. I make sure with every client that we have their origin story within the first week or two of the emails that we send out. So we're actually telling right. the origin story. The origin story means how did you get into this business? What caused you? What's the story? Where's your background story? Why are you doing this? Why is it so important to you? Why is it part of your mission? It's all part of this origin story. It really goes back into your background. You saw a problem. You had a problem. This, this problem solved. You know, I'm, I always come back to the Golden Globe again. You had a desperate problem. Okay. You yeah. found a solution to it. Your story becomes part of the proof. But that's even where we start at the very beginning. My origin story was delivering the pizzas and then coming online and finding an email. That's where I got started. And it was because I was broke. It was in debt. I was in debt. I was desperate for a solution. That's where I right. started. That's how I got started. Every one of my clients have an origin story like that. I mentioned I have several clients who work in weight loss as weight loss coaches and selling weight loss products and authors and things like that. And in their case, we always have, almost always have a fat to fit story or we have a skinny little 98-pound weakling to fit story. There's always a story of why they're like this. And many times that story also goes through conditions like one client went through a car accident and months being right. laid up and being totally and completely out of shape and having to come back from that. But there's always this story and why it's so important to you. And now to come up with an origin story, a lot of people sometimes struggle with this. But one of the easiest ways I've found to find your origin story is to have someone interview. Like when I'm dealing with a client, I'll, I'll do the interview over the phone, and I'll usually pull out their origin story. In 15, 20 minutes, we'll have the, origin, the major points of the origin story out. Because what you do as an interviewer is you're listening for the story, you're listening to the good parts of the story, the exciting parts, the things that jump out. For someone who's out there, what I would tell you to do is get another entrepreneur. Get someone else to interview you and ask you how you got started in this. And here's just some of the questions you can have them ask. Okay, uh, is How did you get started in this business? And make sure that someone right. who's going to listen to you and ask you know, additional follow-up questions about what you say, anything that interests them. And then the next point after asking that question, how did you get started, is why is this so important to you? That's actually a really good follow-up question to constantly ask is why is this so important to you? Because if you start talking and you get excited about something, well, why is this so important to you? Or can you tell me a client that you've really been proud of the results for that client and why? And see, these types of questions, you just have the interviewer ask you these types of questions to start pulling out that intro story of where you got started and how it came. Because here's the mistake everybody makes with email. They sit down and say, okay, I have to write a story. That's, that's tough to do if you're just going to sit down and write. It's much easier to just start talking out your story. And the best writing, the best emails are just like it's you speaking. One of the best compliments that I get from times is when people tell me, that they love my emails because it sounds like me speaking. 
It sounds like yeah. they were talking to me directly. That's what you want. And so having somebody interview the story out of you is one of the best ways to come up with that story. And then you just share little pieces. Sometimes you're, it becomes like a very short story you might share in an email. There might be other aspects that you tell of your story. It might expand out. Such You could do an origin story that lasts 30 minutes of an interview. It might In another email, it might be a 400-word email that you just tell a piece of your origin story, the highlights of the story. So there's a lot of ways we can use this, but you're going to continually come back to it because your story, your mission is going to be part of what separates you from somebody else. And when we talk about those high fees, when we talk about being able to charge what you're really worth and not being a commodity in any market, people buy because of the results you can deliver, but it goes beyond that. They buy because of the results of what you can deliver and for who you are because they want that connection with you and they have faith in you for delivering the results. They have faith in you personally. They have faith in your story, your mission, and that connection they made, not just the excitement of the results, but that connection to you is also what takes you to the higher levels of fees and removes you from just being a commodity like everyone else. Right. So, again, we talk about selling without selling. I'll repeat this once more now that you've made all those points. A big piece of it is the flip from you trying to convince people to invest in you to them trying to convince you to allow them into your client's circle at very high fees, knowing how in-demand and how elite you are, that only a certain person even qualifies to work with you. When you make that type of shift, you don't even have to do any selling because it's, they'll be selling to you. They, they will. That point. I have clients. One of the things that I always teach consultants and clients is that they need, whenever they speak to a potential prospect, a potential client, they should be asking them questions to disqualify them. They should be trying to find the problem clients before they happen. If you've done any right. consulting, if you've done any coaching, you know that it only really takes one really bad client to make you miserable. That's all it really oh. takes. You will be miserable with this client because oh. they, don't do what they don't do what they're told. They constantly complain about it. It's your fault. You're going to have all these issues. It takes one client to make you miserable. I teach new consultants and coaches this at the very beginning. It takes one client to make you miserable. And so from the very beginning, I want you qualifying everybody. You're looking for that client so you can get rid of them. You're looking for them to get rid of them. And yeah. taking that attitude that you're trying to get rid of the people that don't fit, that you don't want to help, that you can't help from the very beginning, it puts you in the right positioning because you're not trying to help them. You're qualifying them and deciding if there's someone you can deliver results from. And that, that's just a huge issue. It's a huge change in mindset is to be looking for that bad client to get rid of them, to resist them, to say no to them. When any call, and any of my consultants and clients I've worked with, I've always told them that anytime you do a call, whether it's a paid call or a free call, like a lot of my clients, once we have enough leads coming through, they don't do free consultations at all. For my clients, they don't get anything free. Nobody comes in and talks to me until they've paid like $500 at minimum. For the, I have a $500 program, a $1,000 program. They're coming in at one of those. They're paying me before they even speak to me. For me at this level, but my other clients, we do the same thing. We'll have fees up front where they don't even do free consultations at some point. Somebody will pay a fee. It's a refundable deposit, and then they'll talk, and it's a qualification call to decide if they want to work with them or not, and either one of them can say no. So the coach can say, the coach consultant can say no, or the client can say no, and we pitch that up at the very front. Either one of us can say no because I don't know if you're a good fit for me, and I don't know if I'm a good fit for you. Right. Okay, I can give you a real quick clue 
um, that can help you roll somebody out right away based on personal experience of learning the hard way. Actually, there's two parts to it. Number one, if you have a process for somebody to become your client, whether they have to fill out an application or whether they have to fill out a quick questionnaire before you get them on the phone, whatever it is, if they say one word about how that in any way was a negative or bothered them or they even found it slightly an inconvenience, dump their asses immediately because they will do nothing but continue to criticize you because now that you've opened the door, that you're open to their feedback on who you are. They're just going to keep pushing that button and pushing that button and pushing that button. Um, I have some pretty strict procedures in place to become my clients. Um, that's varied over the years with my various businesses. I can tell you that 95% of the regrets that I have with clients, and there are very few because I have almost all awesome clients, the very few regrets I have are when I made exceptions to my intake process. Every single one of them, that's where it started. The other red flag is when you have somebody who wants to refer you lots of clients and they start making comments about how you need to be more available. So, for example, they'll say, do we really need to have that stupid form? Can't people just call you? That's because, generally speaking, and maybe this isn't their intention, but this is how it always ends up, they want to ram a bunch of their own clients down your throat and get referral commissions for it. They may not even think at that level, but that's what it seems to turn into. So uh, run from a referral partner that does the same thing because the great referral partners not only will support your process, but they'll even take the time to say, hey, I want to send some more great people to you. Um, I just want to make sure I understand your process for somebody becoming a client so when I'm pre-selling you, I can explain this in a way that adds value to the conversation. Those are the referral partners you want. Exactly. Yeah, so that's, a red, that's a red flag right there is uh, if there's any guff, about the process you use to bring people into your client or customer family, uh, it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better. So um, as we wrap up here, as we wrap up here, I think we have time for one more question. Is uh, about We have about three minutes for this. What do you think, Terry, is one of the best ways to eliminate sales resistance in skeptical markets? People who don't well, necessarily say, wow, look at Terry Dean. I got to hire that guy. Well, it just comes back to what we've just been talking about. It's the storytelling. It's storytelling okay. the different stories. And in that case, what I really push for in skeptical markets is to do a lot of case studies, a lot of case studies from okay. clients. This is the result that we generated. And again, a case study is not just a testimonial. It's not just, hey, you're a great guy. We got this result. It's what problem they had, this client had, what they were looking for, the doubts they had when they first hired you. That comes up into the case study. Other things that they had tried that didn't work. The results they generated, and all of these by having specifics in the stories becomes proof. And so that's where it really comes back to is being able to tell the stories, being able to tell the case studies, and that's how you build the relationship in skeptical markets. And also it's with the email series and basically extending out the email series and mixing it in with other forms of content. When I talk about email marketing, don't think that that just means I'm set and only do email. Most of my clients, we send out emails. We send them over to audios. We send them over to podcasts. We send them right. – we'll actually put a, we'll put a video on YouTube. Then we'll embed it back on our own blog. We'll send them over to that video. 
So we're using different forms of content that we're sending to our list, and we're telling some of the same stories on these different pieces of content. We're sharing case studies. We're letting them peek inside of our lives. We're telling them our mistakes. One of the things I always tell people to use in email is the three M's. These are the myths in your industry, the misconceptions in the industry, and the mistakes you've personally made. We're constantly sharing those three M's and the different forms of content, and that's how we're going to basically turn skeptical prospects into customers is it's done over time. And I basically have that approach that when I run ads, and I run a lot of paid advertising on Facebook and YouTube and different forms of paid advertising, my clients run tons of advertising. My clients do millions of dollars in advertising. But when we're running all this advertising, we're trying to what I call break even on the front end, just pay for the advertising on the front end, but then we earn the money from those relationships that we're building month after month and year after year. Yes. Yes, very true, very true. So uh, I, think that's, I think that's great. Uh, we have covered so much information today, and I hope that something that we've said today for our listeners kind of gives an inspiration or an idea about the power of selling without selling. It has to do with flipping the script, changing the direction of the sale, and as you've heard, it can be a lot of fun because you get to tell stories. And who doesn't love to tell stories? I mean, even me being so introverted, I make Susan Kane look like a club chick. I mean, I, uh, I, mean, uh, I, I love telling stories. So uh, that being said, Terry, how do people take the next step with you? Because I know there's somebody on the edge of their seat. Well, I, I always like to say that if you're not having fun writing emails, nobody's having fun reading them. So I want you to go over to MyMarketingCoach.com. That's MyMarketingCoach.com. And at MyMarketingCoach.com, I have a free report for you, Seven Unique Ways to Create Profitable Emails, Even If You're Not a Writer. It includes a bunch of extra cheat sheet bonuses, such as I actually give you 64 story cheat sheets. It's a full-page cheat sheet that I give as, as part of this report. It gives you 64 different story starters. Basically, I'm asking you questions to jog your brain and create stories. You might be someone who says, well, I'm not a great storyteller because that's what I say. I'm not a great storyteller. Well, that cheat sheet's going to help you. I give you a 27-word email that I send out and I've used with multiple clients to start generating, turning yep. non-responsive subscribers into buyers. So you get that cheat sheet also, that report, and you get these free reports totally for free at MyMarketingCoach.com. All right, MyMarketingCoach.com. I love it. So, uh, and, as you, and as everybody's heard on the Business Creators Radio Show, uh, yeah, sometimes it gets a little bit unplugged around here, and uh, I've had a couple listeners say that maybe I should, uh, you know, dial it down a little bit. No, no, because I have an audience of people. I get clients from the Business Creators Radio Show. As I mentioned before, my guests sometimes get clients from the Business Creators Radio Show. Uh, so I love the formula the way it is, and it's working. Uh, so my final piece of advice is, first of all, take Terry on his offer because it's incredible. I'm going to do it myself because I'm always looking for the slight edge. And second is uh, be not afraid and be not shy. Uh, let people know who you are because in the end, they're going to invest in you more based on who you are or their perception of who you are than the bullet points of what you do. So, Terry Dean, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, and believe me, an education and a heck of a fun time. It's been a pleasure. Your show is fun. You bet. You bet. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes.
at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.